This morning's message is titled, The Final Word. Because the final word in your life is either the final word that you have over yourself, or it is the final word at the cross of Jesus, where everything changes. And over a weekend like this, being Easter, the Passover season, where we, we go back to be reminded of what Jesus has done, I believe that there will be an exchange today where some of us are walking around with some final words over our life, but Jesus wants to come and remind you that the final word is at the cross. I thought about it just now. Every time you look at a date or a time, you confess Jesus' existence because dates are built around the birth of Jesus Christ. And the world today shouts that this message that we carry is not true. But being in a room this morning filled with people who believe and wholeheartedly worships him just proves again that there's a real personal God who's got a real personal invitation to all of us and who wants us to have his final word over our lives. See, we walk around with final words over our heads, final words of depression, of brokenness, loneliness, anxiety, Final words of, I've made too many mistakes. Why would I even be welcomed to church? Final words of, I can't turn back time. Nothing is redeemable. Final words of, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. Final words of disbelief. Final words of doubting that God even created you. I'm not sure about you this morning, but during the music, I could feel God inside here. I could feel the very presence of the creator God who created me by just that experience of singing to him and how he responds and remind us that he has the final word. And this morning to help us move away from our final word that we raise so high and we find our identity in it and we build our life around it, this morning we're gonna exchange this view that we have of ourselves and we just become us and we're gonna exchange it for the final words that Jesus had at the cross. We're gonna study the seven words of Jesus while on the cross and the significance of each of those seven words. Seven resembling perfection. Seven words that I believe carefully chose as his departing words to us, his church, and to humanity before he passed away. Seven words that each carries a weight and a glory that we can discover together again this morning so that we can exchange whatever it is that we believe over ourselves or that we think we have become so that we can exchange that for the words of Jesus at the cross. These seven perfect words, just like all of his bones were preserved on the cross, none of his bones were broken. These seven words have been preserved for us today, his word, so that we can study it and we can see in it, it proves his kingly office. It proves his familial relationship with us, that we're family with him. It proves his love, his glorious work, his provision in our lives, and it proves that he has submitted to the will of the Father to carry our sins so that we can be set free. What I love about these seven words of Jesus on the cross, it teaches and it confirms the beliefs of what we believe as followers of Jesus. And it also proves and shows true the offers that he held as both human and God at the same time. 
So this morning we're going to go through the Gospels and we're going to find these seven words together. And then we're going to make a decision. Are we exchanging whatever we believe over ourselves? Those questions I would ask at the beginning. And I'm sure there are myriads of more questions that many of us have. And I include myself in there. We're going to see that the cross has the final word. First thing that Jesus said, as it is written in the Gospels, is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want you to imagine with me for a minute how Jesus was lying on his back on that cross. And the cross is proof that he was there. It's written in, in the history books. It is there. The world has seen it. It's written down. And he was lying on that cross. And when men came with a nail and a hammer, and every time they beat through his hands, he didn't retaliate. He didn't shout back at them. He didn't sissy out of it. Every single beating, every scoffing, every time someone spat at him physically with their spit, all he could say is, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. It is the word of God every single time. And we've got to be reminded that, yes, there were physical men, soldiers on that day in Golgotha who's laid him on the cross and who have nailed through his hands those nails but each one of us stand responsible because of our sin. And when Jesus, imagine for a moment, it was you with the hammer and the nail. Jesus would look you in the eye and he would say, take another hit. And then if you do, he won't condemn you. He would say, forgiveness. That's what this prayer is. It's a prayer of forgiveness. And this is the very first word of the cross. It is the foundation of what we believe as followers of Jesus. He forgives. Not by anything that we do. Doesn't matter for how long we've been walking around with our things. He's willing to say, put that down. It is clean. I forgive. This is a prayer to the Father. He's pleading for our guilt in front of the Father. The just God. He's interceding for us. And did you know that the word says that that intercession didn't stop there, that today in heaven, Jesus is interceding on behalf of us. So time and time again, when we find ourselves at the end of that cross and our brokenness and our mistakes are like nails through the hands of Jesus again, be reminded that he says forgiveness. The only question that we've got to ask is, are we accepting it? Are we willing to accept it? That he has truly forgiven us for hanging on that tree. The Bible says that with each fall of the hammer, our record of wrongs were nailed to the cross and we are set free. So if you had to pull up a list of everything you've done and you might be walking around not with a glow stick but with a list of mistakes, Jesus is saying this morning, bring it here, put it on my hand, drive the nail through it. I forgive you. And this is the purpose of the cross of Jesus. The second thing that we find that Jesus said while hanging on that cursed tree, he said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Next to Jesus were two thieves. And the one thief on the one hand joined in the crowd and challenging Jesus and, and, and thinking about the fact that he is not God or whatever it is that the crowd did. But on the other hand, there was a thief who 
who probably saw Jesus' heart of forgiveness to humanity. And he prayed a simple prayer, a simple few words that had a glorious response from heaven. He said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And then Jesus responds with these words, truly, definitely, absolutely, you can believe this. I can promise you that you will be with me in paradise. The sinner or this thief didn't work for a minute in his life to make salvation happen. There was no effort in himself. There was no trying and trying again and failing. He simply, at his last breath, said, Jesus, remember me, and that is enough because Jesus is the door of salvation. And this is a cry of salvation to remind us this morning that Jesus stood there And he told this thief, you know what? I'm opening up the door wide. I'm gonna take you to the gates of heaven and I'm gonna take you in with me and you will be with me on the inside and you will experience paradise just like I intended in the beginning. The word paradise means garden. We will go right back to that very start where there was complete beauty and harmony between humankind and God. That's the invitation to each one of us. It is a surety That once we pass over from this life into the next, we can be in that place that he has designed for all of us from the very start. It's also a reminder that access into paradise and eternity into the presence of God is an immediate thing. There's no waiting in between or purgatory as some called it. The moment we accept Jesus and say, simply remember me, he says, You I will take with me into the eternity of paradise where pain is no more, where guilt has has no right, where sickness is dealt with, where you are complete and in the joy and the presence of my Father. And the question we've got to ask, Jesus has opened the door of salvation. He said, come, come as you are. You don't have to deal with stuff. He didn't say, get off the cross first, you thief, and go sort out everything. He just said, just come as you are. I welcome you in. And then in Revelation, it says that Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, have we opened up the door of salvation for Jesus to come and take our lives and make us better than before and change us around? So the second word of Jesus, he moves from forgiveness, you are free, I forgive you, to come into my salvation, I open up the door of heaven for you. The third word of Jesus on the cross speaks about his true humanity. In front of him was his earthly mom, Mary, and next to him, the disciple, John. And he said to Mary, woman, behold your son. And to John, he said, behold your mother. This speaks about Jesus who was truly human and lived within human relationships. And this is the beauty of the gospel is that God became man. He completely understands what it is to live as human. He exercised being a human, and we see here that part of the cross is restoration unto human relationships. And the cross is an invitation into family. I can imagine in that moment how Jesus looked at Mary, and his heart probably sank because of the pain that she was carrying by seeing him on that cross. And you know what? He didn't just say, Mary, Your job is done now, over to me. He had compassion on her and he said, 
Mary, look next to you. There's John. He will be like a son to you now. And then he said, John, we were really close when I w- we walked together on this earth. She will be like a mother to you. And there we see the invitation into the body of Christ, the family that Jesus makes us to be, where moms could be moms to spiritual sons and daughters, where people who walk around in loneliness are added to a family and they can be part of God's divine plan. The cross is a restoration, not only of vertical relationship, us back to the Father, but it's also a restoration of horizontal relationships where we find a family that we would get to dwell together and enjoy moments like this and walk it out in this earth. And Jesus is saying, people understand you're gonna need one another, so take good care of one another. It's important to note that Jesus called her woman and not mother because in that moment, her work was done. And by no means did he ever intend for us to worship the mother. We are only intended to worship Jesus on the cross. The third word of Jesus speaks about family and an invitation into not only a vertical relationship to God, but a horizontal relationship with one another. So see what the cross has already done. The final word. Maybe you are walking around with loneliness. This morning the cross is saying, come into family. Maybe you are walking around with a whole record of wrongs. This morning the cross is saying forgiveness. Maybe you have not opened the door of your heart to Jesus, but the door of heaven is wide open. And he's saying, come into paradise with me. And this morning he wants you to put down your life where you've held it in your own hands and determined the own outcome and say, I step into the paradise which you created me for in the very beginning. The fourth word on the cross is a sharp word and a personal word where he speaks to the Father. But in it is so much life. It's filled with gloom and darkness for Jesus, but it shines with everlasting, illuminating light to us this morning. Where he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, all of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. And the Father being perfect could not look upon Jesus anymore. He had to turn his face. And he had to forsake Jesus with all our sin and all our brokenness. And for the first time ever, Jesus felt what it feels like to be disconnected from the Father. Because his entire earthly ministry, he was walking close with the Father in close communion. And in that moment, he was separated from the Father because all our sins was placed upon him. He was the one that took all our sins to the grave. And he can really, in this moment, and because of this moment today, identify with us that we sometimes feel far from God and forsaken by God. Because of our sin and our own brokenness. What I love about Jesus' resolve here, he still calls out to my God, my God. There's still a personal belief and a conviction that even though he feels forsaken, that he's not because he has a God that is personally involved in his life and he's crying out to his God. Not just God, and he's also not saying, no God, not interested. 
He's saying, you are my God, you are near, you are close. And even in his moment of anguish in his soul and where the father turns his face, he still holds on to the promise that we have today that he's a personal God involved in our lives. He was forsaken to make us accepted. He was rejected. And in that moment, I can imagine how Father God in heaven would not look at him, but he would turn his gaze to the crowd in front of Jesus and to all the generations to come. And he says, all of you, you're accepted. He's condemned. He's taken it to, the, to death. But you, come into paradise with me. The next word of Jesus, the fifth word, is I thirst. In our language, it's two words. In the original language, it's simply one word. And it speaks of a physical thirst. And this is important to note that Jesus was completely human up to the point where he physically died. There was no exchange on the cross all of a sudden that he had his divine power again. He was completely human all the way. He felt like a human when the nails went through his hands. Imagine a nail being driven through your hand, the pain. And that was just one hand after the many beatings, after the spitting. And then his feet hanging on a tree, being pierced, being beaten, thrown on his head of thorns. He was completely human to the end. And I don't know about you, but if you bought, your body goes into a bit of shock and you've had a bad moment, you become thirsty, right? And Jesus' body was so broken and bruised that he had physical thirst. But that physical thirst represented something far greater. It represented the thirst in his soul because the Father has looked away from him. He knew what it was to long and have a longing for communion with the Father. So when he said, I thirst, there was a deep longing inside of him to drink from the wellspring of life again. You know what they offered Jesus when he said he's thirsty? They took a sponge and they dipped it in, in old wine and they said, here, Jesus, drink. And I thought about this. Isn't that all that the world has to offer? Vinegar? We try and find our thirst being satisfied for the things that we want in this world, but the only thing the world has to offer is vinegar. But we've got to return back to the understanding that from the throne room of God, the Bible says, runs a river of life. And it is bright and pure as crystal. And that river satisfies a thirst in us that only that can satisfy. And for so many of us, we've been drinking vinegar so, so long that that's the taste that we like. But I wanna encourage you this morning, if you take a cup of fresh water, you would not want the vinegar again because nothing satisfies like fresh water. You can drink Coca-Cola for as long as you will, but you all know that there's a moment where you just, I need some water. And when you drink that icy cold water, pure and clean, it satisfies your thirst. They tried to offer Jesus something that only the world can give, but his longing was like the deer who pants after the water of life. His longing was for that throne room of God where a crystal clear water river runs and we can drink from it. And in your mind, you can't help but hear the words of Jesus echo. Blessed are those who thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who are thirsty for me, for they shall be filled. And this morning, that's the invitation. Be thirsty for him. He will fill you up. You will have a taste of the living water and you will never thirst again. This is what he told the woman at the well. 
She was standing there in her brokenness. And he pointed out her brokenness to her, but he didn't condemn her. He said, you are pulling water out of a well, but let me give you some of the water that once you drink this, you will never thirst again. And she had a sip of that water and her life changed. This morning, there's an invitation. And Jesus is saying, just like I thirsted on the cross, thirst after God, have a longing for him. Second last word on the cross. A powerful one word statement that resets the course of history. Everything changes in this moment. Everything is documented. And when Jesus passed away, there was darkness across the world. And in this moment, time was reset. The history was reset when he said, it is finished. It is done. And the original word there is tetelestai, which means finished, complete, paid for in full, no more. It is completely done. There's no better way to explain it than it is done. Tetelestai. It is complete. And it, it shows us three things. First of all, that Jesus completed the very work that the Father had for him in leading us into triumph. It's a word of triumph where he said, you know what, it is finished. I have done this task. Just the day before, he was in the garden and he said, Father, can you maybe let this cup pass me? I don't think in my humanity I'm strong enough to go through the cross. But your will be done. And he pushed through to this point where he said, Father, I've done everything that you have called me to in this earth. I think about David. It says, it was written of David that after he fulfilled all the purposes of God and his generation, he passed away. And that's the second invitation. It's saying, can we live like that? That we want to get to a place that one day when we move from the transient into the eternity, that we will say, it is complete. The very thing that God has called me to the very invitation that the Father had for me, I have done. It is finished. Tetelestai. But this morning, and in light of the cross, the third study of this word is probably the most important. He took our record of wrongs, and there was a stamp on it. Finished. And now the accuser of the brethren, the enemy comes and he still wants to accuse us. And you know what? Sometimes we are our own enemy. We walk around accusing ourselves of everything we've done wrong. Right? Sometimes we blame the devil and it's just us doing it ourselves. But Jesus is looking at you and saying, it is dealt with, it is finished, it is paid for, and it speaks about our justification. Because of that moment, now we can be complete in him again. And I believe this, and this is what I give my life to, and I've seen it, and I'm yet to meet someone who's made that decision to follow Jesus and not believe wholeheartedly that this is the truth. And there's an invitation to you this morning to be justified by these words where God wants to speak over your life and say, it is done. It's paid for in full. You don't have to work. You don't have to strive. You don't have to be good. You don't have to uphold any morals. You just give your life to me and I will make you become something far greater than what you ever thought or imagined because it is done. Your sin, your brokenness, your depression, your pain, your sickness, it is done. I took it to the cross. And then the last words of Jesus. The captain of our salvation hanging on the cross he breathes out his final words and he says, Father, 
He moves away from my God back to Father. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. And in this one cry, there's immediate reconciliation with the Father. In that moment, Jesus modeled to us that once we pass from this life into eternity, there's a Father waiting for us. And he uses the words, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Imagine the Father in heaven standing with open hands. And within his hands, he holds the banquet feast of reconciliation back to him. That's the invitation. To be reconciled back to him where we've lost it at the very beginning when we were in paradise. And he says, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Now you can boldly come to my throne of grace and come eat from everything that I have for you. The bread of life, the water and wellspring of life. Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit in that moment to encourage us today that we should live such a life that one day we can say, Father, here comes my spirit. Isn't that what Paul said? I'm hard-pressed. You know what? I would far greater just let my spirit go and be in the hands of the Father and be in his presence. But to live as Christ and to die as gain, that's the invitation. That we can actually say it, that we don't feel death anymore because we know that moment where we step into it, we are welcomed into the very hands and the arms of the Father. So I want to take you through these seven words again. It speaks about forgiveness. It speaks about salvation. It speaks about family. It speaks about Jesus being the substitute, a fulfilled thirst. There's a complete work that he has done. All our sins and guilt is upon him. You don't have to walk around carrying guilt anymore because Jesus took it to the cross and it speaks about an invitation of being reconciled back to the Father. But you know what's the best part of the story? That might be the final word on the cross. But there was a first word after resurrection. And the very first word that we find in the gospel, in the Bible, that Jesus said once he saw his disciples again was the word chairo. Greetings in English. Doesn't do much for us in English, but it means in the original language, rejoice, delight in God's grace. Because he has overcome. It is true today, it's written in the history books that the first man to ever be raised from the dead was Jesus Christ. And he has overcome death. And today we can say, death, where is your sting? We're not scared anymore. We're going to rejoice and we're going to delight in God's grace. Grace is a free gift. We can't do anything to get it. We can't pay for it. The cross paid for it. All we have to do is say, I'm doing an exchange. I'm putting down whatever I think and believe of myself. And I accept the full grace of the cross of Jesus. Jesus. And then we can walk through this life and we can say, even in our hardest of days, Chairo, rejoice, there's grace. And when we find ourselves in a tricky situation or in a broken relationship, we can say, Chairo, delight, rejoice in God's grace because he says he keeps giving grace to those who follow him. It doesn't end at the cross. It's only the beginning of a continuous stream and endless waves of mercy that are available to each one of us. This morning, as I speak, you might feel completely lost. 
and completely uncertain about where you are at, Jesus wants to remind you this morning that he is pleading for you and says, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. You might feel that you're not sure what's going to happen once you pass from this life into the next. He wants to remind you from his final words on the cross that the door of salvation is open. You might feel lonely and isolated this morning. He wants to remind you that there's a family of God existing for you to come just as you are. You don't have to be complete. You don't have to have it all figured out. It doesn't matter whatever. There's a mother, there's a father, there's a brother, there's a sister, there's a son, there's a daughter, there's an uncle, there's an aunt, there's a family of God that he has for us. This morning you might feel like you're the one who's supposed to carry the weight of your sin. And he says, no, you were never intended to. I'm the substitute. I'm the one who did it on your behalf. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You might feel like you are far from God and you're thirsty for him. You know what? It's a good place to be because from his throne runs a river, a deep river of pure, crystal, bright water for you to drink from. And this morning, you might have lived in strife to make this Christian walk happen, or maybe not. And he says, I did it. It is done. So the invitation this morning is to be reconciled back to him. How do we do this? You know what? Can we go back to the words of the thief on the cross? He simply said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. If we can pray that simple prayer, all of these benefits and all of this new life is given to us in a moment. And we are on a new course of life and our Savior has saved us. You might ask the question, why, Pierre? Why are you passionate about this? Why does church exist? Why, why are we even gathered here this morning? I wanna take us back to the motive. And the motive is love. John 3, 16 17 and 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the very message of the gospel. And you know what? We walk around thinking condemned, condemned. You know what? This Christian thing, this God thing, oh, it's all about condemnation. You're not good enough. You need to better yourself. And I do agree. You know what? To some part of me, like, there is that message. And you know what? The enemy has been really good at twisting the message of the gospel to such a place that the world has become enemies on it. Because when I read that, that's the word of Jesus. He's saying this. He says, I never came to say condemned. I came to say dealt with. I love you. I accept you as you are. And then we come to him and then he works in us and we change so that we become more like him. But maybe that's the only word that you've heard. Condemn, condemn, condemn. May I remind you of the final word of the cross. That you are welcomed, that you are forgiven. And it doesn't matter how many times you have nailed a nail through his hands. 
He says, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. And I want us to think about this for a few minutes. You know what? Studying these words of Jesus this week, I, I had my moments. I'm like, Lord, I need you again. I need you more. Yes, I might do what I do with my life and lead a congregation or whatever it is you want to call it, but it doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me stronger. I need Jesus the same way. I need to go and stop at each of these seven words. So Jesus, I want that again. Some of you in this morning while we prayed, God reminded us of the story of Peter where he denied Jesus on the cross. I believe there are Peters, metaphorically speaking, in this room today where you once walked with Jesus, but you've denied him. Maybe like Peter once, maybe like him twice, three times, maybe multiple times. But let's be reminded that the story didn't end there. The final word over Peter's life was not that he denied Jesus. The final word over Peter's life is that when Jesus was risen from the dead, he went back and he said, Peter, I love you. The door of salvation is open to you. I still see in you what I said from the very beginning. Come and walk with me again. So this morning, that might be you. Maybe you are hearing the message of the cross differently for the first time today. Maybe you've always thought it's, that it's all about condemnation. You're just walking around like this. You are, you are filthy and terrible. You're making mistakes. You know what sin is? It's simply to miss the mark. It's to miss like shooting an arrow and you just miss the mark that's set out. When God created us, He created us with a certain mark to reach. You know what? We miss it. We all do. I missed it this week. Let's accept the final word over our lives. So let's take a moment to think about that. Just feel His love and acceptance this morning. Because that's the thing that moves us. And say, Jesus, thank you. I accept you this morning. And then our lives change completely. Thank you.